Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Are you going through menopause or perimenopause? It can be a struggle to find comfort in your body with night sweats, hot flashes, and so many other uncomfortable symptoms. Hormone Harmony is a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause, or postmenopause created by Happy Mammoth. They are dedicated to making women's lives easier using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout women's lives. So hormone harmony isn't just for menopause. Any woman with symptoms of hormonal imbalances can take it, but it's perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put a woman's life on hold. Hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CHAT at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code CHAT for 15% off today. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 232. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Between writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy-to-use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit TherapyNotes.com to get two free months of Therapy Notes today. Just use the promo code TherapyChat when you sign up for a free trial at TherapyNotes.com. Thanks also to DoxyMe for sponsoring this episode. DoxyMe is an easy-to-use, HIPAA-compliant telehealth platform that is available in free and paid versions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code therapy chat. A couple weeks ago, my group practice needed to close our office to in-person sessions and make a quick pivot to telehealth due to the coronavirus. I was able to set up free HIPAA compliant DoxyMe accounts for my staff and interns. This allowed us to quickly and easily transition to telehealth during a stressful situation. I already had my own paid account that I'd been using as needed. DoxyMe has been easy for staff and clients to use so we can focus on the therapy sessions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code therapy chat. 
That's D-O-X-Y dot M-E. And use the code TherapyChat for $50 off. I need to start out by saying that this episode is directed towards white people who want to confront their own internalized racism and make things better. If you are a black person who's listening, you're welcome, of course, to be here. Thank you for being here. But please don't feel obligated to listen to this because what I'm talking about, you may already know and it may be exhausting to hear me talking about it when you are living with this all the time. So this is basically my content warning that please don't feel you have to listen to this. Please come back next time if you just want to hear the usual therapy chat content, but I'm with you in solidarity. I completely and totally denounce white supremacy and police brutality, oppression and violence, especially against the groups who have less power in this country. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. Today is June 2nd, 2020, and I am covering a topic that I have touched upon multiple times in past episodes briefly. I'm going to go a little bit more in depth today about confronting structural inequality and white supremacy. So as you may know, if you've ever seen my picture, I'm a white person. I have my own internalized biases, including racism. I was raised in southeastern Virginia in Norfolk, a city that integrated the schools for the first time the year I was born, 1971, which which is 17 years after Brown versus the Board of Education. I grew up in integrated public schools, and that was normal to me. But that integration of schools was, you know, that was a beginning point. That was not an end to racism. We still have de facto segregation. I'm continually working to confront my own biases and do better. And I do my best to challenge racism when I see it. That means when I hear people making racist statements or expressing attitudes and beliefs that are racist, I, I attempt to engage the person in conversation and hope to persuade them to consider another perspective. I'm not an expert in anti-racism work, but as a social worker and an activist against sexual violence, I do have a lot of experience and education in social justice work. I can't and won't pretend to have the lived experience of a black or brown person living in America. And I will, at the end of this episode, give a long list of resources. It's not an exhaustive list by any means. It's what I was able to pull together after a couple hours of research last night. And I don't normally read my episodes. I don't normally read a script, but last night when I was last night when I was doing research for this episode, I wrote out what I wanted to say because it's a very emotional topic and I wanted to be sure that what I said was organized, that my thoughts were organized enough to make sense so I wouldn't lose listeners who just thought I was rambling and couldn't really grasp the points I'm trying to make. So I posted this on social media earlier in the week, this statement that 
is, you know, it's, it's my words, but it's not really my idea. We have two Americas, one that works for white people and one that works against black people. And what I mean by saying that is that we white people are allowed to be, we've been enabled to remain pretty complacent in the time, I guess the whole time that America has been colonized. But, you know, here it is 2020 and many white people really think that racism isn't a problem anymore. They don't know many or any black people or other people of color. They can't relate to the issues of black people or people of color. And, you know, I'm hoping that if you fall into that category, that this this episode might get you thinking and hopefully get you to examine your own attitudes about race and how you can make a difference. Because I know that many of my listeners are therapists and I believe that all of you are people who are caring and compassionate and I don't want to make you feel bad about yourself. I want to challenge you to dig deep and see if anything that I'm talking about resonates with you. After the recent deaths of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, and Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, protests have been happening in cities all over the U.S. and even around the world. I've seen London and Berlin and other cities around the world protesting the the problem of racial injustice in our country, the United States. The United States, we all think that we are the best country in the world. That's what I've been taught since childhood in school. But um, if you take an outside perspective, we're really not looking too good. I remember when I was growing up, like I mentioned, I was born in 1971. I remember watching on the news about apartheid and Nelson Mandela's efforts and how he went to prison in South Africa and how, you know, terrible that was. And I was so opposed to apartheid and, you know, how could anyone think that's okay? But we have a similar situation going on here. It's just that we don't, we don't really talk about how it is. We tell ourselves that we're the land of the free and the home of the brave. And there's a whole other reality going on that black people do know about and white people don't see. Maybe we choose to be ignorant to it. So hopefully these protests may raise more awareness among white people about this. I mean, as this is all going on, I haven't heard a single thing being said by anyone in Congress about the injustices that have been happening. Maybe I missed it, but they seem to be quite quiet. And what I've heard from the executive branch of our government has been disappointing, discouraging. I don't even have the words for for that. There are many people who are speaking out against racism and doing boots on the ground work in this area of racial justice. And I will give you some resources to help you learn more about what they're doing. But since I have a platform that reaches a number of people, I wanted to use my platform to address those who listen to this podcast hoping that if you feel lost about how to make a difference on the issue of racism, today's episode might give you more clarity. And I just want to be clear, I'm really upset about this. It's not you who are listening that I'm upset with. It's this unjust system that we live in. I've been upset about it for a long, long time. I learned a lot more about it in social work school, but I knew about it before as a sociology major. And 
as a person who tries to think critically and pays attention to the news ever since a child. I've been aware of police brutality, and I know that some police forces train and hire excellent law enforcement officers who protect and serve, and other police forces allow racism and corruption to grow and fester within their members, and we see things like this, what happened in Minneapolis most recently. So why am I talking about this? I know I have heard some therapists, not recently, but in the past years, say that therapists don't need to get involved in politics, quote unquote. This isn't political. I'm a social worker. And as a social worker, I follow the National Association of Social Workers, NASW, Code of Ethics. One of the primary ethical principles we follow states, social workers challenge social injustice. And here's what it says. This is a quote from the NASW Code of Ethics. So if you're a social worker, you already know this. Social workers pursue social change, particularly with and on behalf of vulnerable and oppressed individuals and groups of people. Social workers' social change efforts are focused primarily on issues of poverty, unemployment, discrimination, and other forms of social injustice. These activities seek to promote sensitivity to and knowledge about oppression and cultural and ethnic diversity. Social workers strive to ensure access to needed information, services, and resources, equality of opportunity, and meaningful participation in decision-making for all people. So that's why I'm talking about this. And those aren't just the, that is not just a a segment of the code of ethics that I follow as a social worker because that's my job. I became a social worker because that is, those are my values. That matters to me and that's why I'm a social worker. In addition to that, part of being a trauma-informed therapist, as you know, if you are a trauma-informed therapist, is understanding the power differential inherent in therapy. My clients have experienced the trauma of abuse which is rooted in patriarchal beliefs. For example, that children must obey their parents and that beating children will make them obey. That's a patriarchal belief. So even when I'm not directly talking about racism, awareness of the impact of systemic inequality, which supports white supremacy, is inherent in the work I do every day. If I fail to understand that, I am part of the problem. As I've already acknowledged, my white privilege is a part of me that I was born with just as being oppressed is something that every black person born in America is born with. It's not fair that I have privilege any more than it is fair that a black person is born with a disadvantage that our country assigns to them based on the color of their skin. And that's why I'm talking about this today. This brings us to what happened to Christian Cooper in Central Park last week. So much has gone on since then. You might have forgotten about it or maybe you didn't even catch it when it happened. What could have happened had he not filmed his encounter with Amy Cooper, who is not related to him, is as significant as what did happen. So in case you missed it, Mr. Cooper was birdwatching in Central Park in New York City when he came upon Amy Cooper, like I said, no relation, and she was allowing her dog to run off leash in an area where dogs are required to be leashed. There were signs saying dogs must be leashed. Mr. Cooper politely asked Amy Cooper to put her dog on a leash, and she basically argued that she didn't have to, so he started recording her. 
She then said that she was going to call the police and tell them that an African-American man is threatening my life, which he wasn't. Maybe she thought he was just because he was black. And that is part of the problem. She called 911 while being video recorded. And on her end of the call, many people thought it sounded as if someone was attacking her. Her voice rose and became more panicked and hysterical sounding. Some people think she did that on purpose. I'm not sure. I want to be compassionate toward her as well. Maybe she really was that scared. But that's a problem too. He wasn't doing anything. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He asked her to put a leash on her dog and she called 911. And and she told him to, to scare him. She told him that she was going to call the police and say that he was threatening her life, knowing what that means, knowing what could happen to him. After the video was viewed millions of times and she lost her dog and her job, she apologized, stating, according to CNN, I'm not a racist. I did not mean to harm that man in any way. This isn't about vilifying Amy Cooper. This is about vilifying the internalized racism that white people carry around with us because we live in an unjust system that we think, many of us think, is just. We think if you call the police, they'll come and help you because that's our experience. Many black people do not feel that if you call the police, they will come and help you because that's their experience. This is why I say that we live in two Americas. And I think that it's deliberate that white people are kept insulated from what it's really like to be a black person in America, because that prevents white people from standing up and speaking out against the injustice. And in the same way, we white people are responsible for educating ourselves about that. If you know the system is unjust, it's up to you to change it. We are the system. We created this system. I didn't, but I live in this country. I'm a white person. I benefit from it. So I'm part of it. In the same week that Christian Cooper encountered Amy Cooper and her dog in Central Park, protests started over the deaths, as I mentioned, of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, and Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia. As I hope you know, I don't know how you could have missed it, but maybe you did. George Floyd and Breonna Taylor were killed by police and Ahmaud Arbery was killed by two white vigilantes while jogging. In the Baltimore Sun, there was an op-ed recently that called these events lynchings. I'm going to link to that in the show notes. Their names are added to a long list of others who have been killed because of the color of their skin. This includes, in recent years, this is not an exhaustive list, sadly, Philando Castile, who was also killed in Minnesota, Eric Harris, Corey Jones, Walter Scott, Yvonne Smallwood, Freddie Gray in Baltimore, Tamir Rice, 12-year-old who was playing in the park with a toy gun, Sandra Bland, Trayvon Martin, also killed by a vigilante and who was not convicted, Tony McDade, Eric Garner, Randolph Evans, Alton Sterling, Michael Brown, Sean Reed, John Crawford III. That's just a few names. Now, this is what I want to talk about. To all of us white people who do not want to think of ourselves as racist, I mean, I don't want to think that about myself either, but I have to acknowledge that that's the reality. What I'm about to share may bring up some cognitive dissonance for you. And in case you don't know what cognitive dissonance is, this is when your identity, the way you want to see yourself, clashes with information that makes you think about yourself in a different way. It's uncomfortable. And I challenge you to be brave enough to sit with your discomfort and don't turn away. 
because that's what we often do is we say, oh, I don't like thinking about this. This is too upsetting. I can't, I can't talk about this. Please try to stay with it or take a break and come back to it. Let's just pause for a moment so I can give you a little bit more information about why I love therapy notes. I switched to therapy notes a few years ago. I'd say it's about three years now, I believe. And I have never regretted it. I was very happy with the EHR I used before, but therapy notes is more intuitive. I love the interface. The customer service is fantastic. And I love how I can get my notes done quickly because I can customize the template that I use for my notes. And there are opportunities to put check marks rather than having to write out the intervention used. So I have cut my time spent writing notes way down, which is wonderful because I like to focus on seeing clients. I know documentation is an important part of our work, but it can also be time consuming. And that is why I love using therapy notes. If you are considering switching EHRs or you're looking for one to use in your practice, give therapy notes a try. Get two free months of therapy notes, including their beta version of their new integrated telehealth option. You can get two free months by using the code TherapyChat. I want to explain to you, this is something that every social worker knows. We learn in social work school. And I think this is also something that we realize intuitively, even if we don't like to admit it. There are two types of racism, overt and covert racism. So I found a graphic on social media. Um, I don't know who originally created it, but I saw it credited to at the conscious kid. If anybody knows who created it and that isn't the original person, please let me know. But I thought this was a really good, again, not exhaustive list, but a good way to understand the difference between overt and covert racism. So the overt type of racism that most of us consider to be loathsome includes things like lynching, hate crimes, blackface, swastikas, racist jokes, racist slurs, burning crosses, the N-word, neo-Nazis, the KKK. Most of us, certainly I hope everyone who's listening to this would not identify themselves with any of that. I think most of us know these behaviors and hate groups are racist. But then there's covert racism, which is much more insidious because it's embedded in our society. Examples include calling the police on black people, white silence, colorblindness, which is when people say, oh, I don't see color. I love everyone. White parents self-segregating in neighborhoods and schools, a white savior complex, Eurocentric school curriculums, education funding from property taxes. I don't understand why we can't just give the same amount of money to schools in every community. That in itself could make a major impact. Tone policing, racist mascots. I'm looking at you, football team from Washington, D.C. Not believing experiences of BLPOC, paternalism or patriarchy, victim blaming. The statement, don't blame me, I never owned slaves. Also, that was 200 years ago. Why can't they just get over it? Higher infant and maternal mortality rates for BLPOC. 
discriminatory lending, spiritual bypassing, racial profiling, the statement, all lives matter, bootstrap theory, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, denial of racism, claiming reverse racism, expecting black people to teach white people about racism, housing discrimination, attributing more maturity and responsibility to black children than you would to white children, employment discrimination, the list goes on and on. As a white person, whether or not you identify as racist, you benefit from the structures that support white supremacy. One example is property inheritance. Many white people have had the benefit of the opportunity for property to be passed down for generations or the wealth associated with owning property to be passed down. This gives white people a better start than most black people have had available, particularly because for many years, black people were not alone we're not allowed to own property. So you can't pass down generational wealth if you are prevented by the state, the government, from owning some of the things that lead to the most wealth. So in general, white people have had hundreds of years of head start on accumulating wealth that was not available to black people. And I know that there are many white people who are poor and did not have family wealth, but White poverty and black poverty are also not the same. That's one simple example. This country was built on white supremacy. That's not what we're taught in school, but that's the reality. Just consider the Declaration of Independence, a a wonderful document that was written by a group of wealthy white men. Most, if not all of them, owned, quote, unquote, property, including enslaved people. Enslaved people, slaves, were property. They were not considered human. Like Thomas Jefferson, who had several children by an enslaved girl, Sally Hemings, beginning when she was only 14 years old. Those children, who were also enslaved, had no inheritance rights, despite being biological children of this powerful landowner. And if you think about it, that's on purpose, because if... First of all, having children with an enslaved person involuntarily on their part because they don't have any autonomy or agency since they are not at that time considered to be human. They make babies for you and to the detriment of being able to have their own children. And those children are more slaves you got for free, which increases your wealth and who can work the land on your plantation. And they don't divide up your assets further. So if you have 10 children who are enslaved and three children with the person that you're married to, your property inheritance rights only go to the three children, not the 13 children that you have. So therefore... What would have been divided by 13 is divided by three. Do you see how that supports keeping wealth and power in the hands of white people? It's obvious, but I guess it needs to be spelled out. Sometimes we don't pick up on things because it's not what we learned in school. So the Declaration of Independence, as most of us know, starts out with, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. All men are created equal. It's such a beautiful concept that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
since enslaved people were not human but were property, they're not included in that. And as we all know, it took years and years and years and years, more than 100 years after the Declaration of Independence, for Black people to begin to gain some rights, to begin to bring them up to the level of having equal rights to white people. So back to the present day and the discussion about what happened in Central Park between Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper, who was bird watching. Amy Cooper did what any white woman might do if she was alone, confronted with a situation that made her feel uncomfortable, regardless of why she was uncomfortable. And she didn't have a white man with her to give her power. In the United States, women don't have equal power to men. So white women being disempowered, we get our power from our association with men. And that is pretty much culturally conditioned with us. We're born and raised to understand that first our fathers will protect us. And then when we are adults, our husbands will protect us. And if our fathers and our husbands aren't around, then we can call the police and they will come and protect us. I ask myself, why do we women need so much protection? Part of the patriarchal culture that is propping up and is a function of white supremacy is hypermasculinity, which you've heard me talk about many times on this podcast in relation to sexual violence. Patriarchy and hypermasculinity say that women are sexual objects for men to compete for. And women get married which makes them safely off limits to other men besides our husbands. This is one of the ways that white women unconsciously perpetuate white supremacy and the patriarchy. We've seen this happening so often on video now, thanks to social media, which is shining a light on how things really are for those who are living outside of our bubbles. You know, we see what we want to see. We see what's around us, but we don't see what's going on for people whose lives are different from ours. So if you haven't heard about this meme uh, on your own, you probably have now heard about it because the news has begun to report on it, that there's a meme describing Karens and that word is used to, you know, it's a common name in white culture for women of a certain age you know, women in their 30s and 40s and 50s, white women who are indignant when they feel black people are stepping out of line. They demand to speak to the manager. They call 911 when they see black people picnic in a park that they think is supposed to be maybe no grills are allowed. Or why are you in this Starbucks and all you have is water? You know, like, I want to speak to the manager. And then the manager says, you have to leave. You can't be in Starbucks with just water. And the man says, yes, I can. And I'm meeting someone. And actually, I might have a coffee, too. And then the police come. You know, that's an example. And that happened in Philadelphia a couple years ago. Probably heard about it. The two men were there for a business meeting. Like, anytime I walk into my local Starbucks, there are people who sit there all day working. They don't sit and drink a new coffee every hour. They sit there. They have water. They bring their own water. They bring a sandwich. Nobody bothers them. So what we're talking about here is structural racism. I found a great definition of structural racism on the Racial Equity Tools website where they quoted an organization called Solid Ground, which is based in Seattle. So this quote really comes from Solid Ground. The quote is that structural racism is the systematic distribution of resources, power, and opportunity in our society to the benefit of people who are white, 
and the exclusion of people of color. Present-day racism was built on a long history of racially distributed resources and ideas that shape our view of ourselves and others. It is a hierarchical system that comes with a broad range of policies and institutions that keep it in place. In the United States, institutional racism has been responsible for slavery, settlement, Indian reservations, segregation, residential schools, parentheses for American Indians, and internment camps. We all know about that. When the Japanese Americans who were American citizens were rounded up and forced to live in camps, concentration camps. While most of these institutions no longer exist, they have had long-term impacts on our society. Solid Ground goes on with this definition. As a result of institutional racism, racial stratification and disparities have occurred in employment, housing, education, healthcare, government, and other sectors. While many laws were passed in the mid-20th century to make discrimination illegal, Major inequalities still exist. So if you are one of those idealistic people who thinks that having our first black president resolved all the problems of our country's racism, it's time to think again. If you are a white person, here's a here's an experiment. Search your heart and honestly ask yourself and see if you can respond to yourself truthfully. Would you choose to be black if you could? Black people are beautiful, wonderful, gifted contributors to American society. In America, we love black culture, but our society does not love black people. If you're being honest with yourself, I don't think anyone would choose to be black in America, not because there's anything wrong with being black, but because we all know that black people in this country are not treated fairly. Opportunity is not equal. I want to be clear that when I say that, I'm saying it's wrong. It's wrong that black people are not treated the same. If black people were treated the same, we wouldn't have a problem, but they're not. I respect the role of law enforcement, but I would not be afraid to look a police officer in the eye and explain why I was speeding or to argue if I was accused of running a red light that I know wasn't red. I don't have to worry about being killed when I get pulled over. Even though that could happen, it's so unlikely that it doesn't cross my mind. And if I were killed after being pulled over for speeding, my community would be outraged because they would think that could have been me. She shouldn't have been killed. All she was doing was speeding. And I think where the problem is for white people is that when they see a black person killed during a traffic stop, they don't think that could be me. They think, what were they doing? There must have been a good reason that that happened. And that is the problem. That's why the Black Lives Matter movement exists. Because when a black person is killed during a traffic stop, white people tend to say, well, you don't know what happened before the video started. Or he should have followed the police officer's orders. Or he was resisting. Or he tried to run away. Or he was looting. Or why was he playing with that toy gun? We don't ask why a gun was pulled on someone who was pulled over for a broken taillight or running a red light. There needs to be a movement called Black Lives Matter, because to white Americans, when a black person is murdered, there is little reaction. This is wrong. This is why people are protesting. Philando Castile was in lawful possession of a gun, which he disclosed to the officer when he was pulled over. He was with his girlfriend and a child, and he was murdered in the car. He was killed. The Second Amendment rights that people are so passionate about only seem to be valid for white people. 
That whole idea of a good guy with a gun implies that there are bad guys with guns. And I wonder, does that mean that when black people legally purchase guns, why is that a threat? And why is a white person with a gun not a threat? And with what's been happening in the protests in the past few days, I'm beginning to wonder if freedom of speech and freedom of assembly First Amendment is only for white people, too. Although during the protests, people, all the protesters are being treated very poorly. Not everywhere. In some places, that's not happening. But something horrible happened in D.C. last night. And peaceful protesters were tear gassed without warning. And before curfew, I mean, we don't have all the information about it, but we do have... Many people have denounced what happened. And I frankly, I thought it was absolutely horrifying. But we're seeing reports of things like that all around. So it's it's very, very disturbing. We've always been a nation that valued people protesting to speak out for their rights. And somehow under this situation, that isn't okay. Why do white people need so much protection? We have the most power and yet we're still so afraid. Why are we so afraid? Maybe because we know that we as a country are mistreating an entire group of people and have been for the entirety of the colonization of this land that we took forcefully and with deception from the indigenous peoples who lived here prior to the 1600s. If we had an egalitarian society where everyone enjoyed the great American dream, maybe we would have less to fear from our fellow citizens. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you can learn more by reading Howard Zinn's book, A People's History of the United States, which tells our country's origin story from the point of view of the indigenous peoples who experienced genocide in the name of colonialism. I saw a great satirical article that talked about how the current situation in the U.S. could be written about if it were happening in another country. This was from the Washington Post, and I'll link to the article in the show notes. Now, think about when you hear news reports of what's going on in Iran, Afghanistan, um, in Rwanda during the Civil War, in Somalia, uh, recently, you know, in recent years in Egypt. If you think about what you read, and it sounds so literally just so like, oh, that's weird. Why are they doing that? So this excerpt that I'm going to read was written the same way that we write about those events. It says, In recent years, the international community has sounded the alarm on the deteriorating political and human rights situation in the United States under the regime of Donald Trump. Now, as the country marks 100,000 deaths from the coronavirus pandemic, the former British colony finds itself in a downward spiral of ethnic violence. The fatigue and paralysis of the international community are evident in its silence, America experts say. The country has been rocked by several viral videos depicting extrajudicial executions of black ethnic minorities by state security forces. Uprisings erupted in the northern city of Minneapolis after a video circulated online of the killing of a black man, George Floyd, after being attacked by a security force agent. And then they quote a fictional person in the article. Sure, we get it that black people are angry about decades of abuse and impunity, said G. Scott Fitz, a Minnesotan and member of the white ethnic majority. But going after a target crosses the line. Can't they find a more peaceful way like kneeling in silence? 
It goes on to say, ethnic violence has plagued the country for generations, and decades ago, it captured the attention of the world. But recently, the news coverage and concern are waning, as there seems to be no end in sight to the oppression. That's satire and is also not far-fetched in terms of how people in another country could be viewing what's going on here. I mean, those those words are actually all true, other than the quote by a fictional person. I took that out of the article. There's more to it. But this is this is not what America is supposed to be about. What we've all thought it was, or at least I thought and white people are taught and seem to believe because it it does work for us most of the time, but it's not working for everyone. And so something has to change. So what can you and I do about these issues? As I said, I'm no expert, but I know that there are a lot of things we can do. And I'm going to make a few suggestions, um, list a bunch of resources that will all be in the show notes And then I'm going to step back and just keep doing what I'm doing to work on my own internalized racism and what I do to confront racism in my life wherever I see it and keep, keep trying, keep hoping and getting involved every way I can. So what can we do as white people? Of course, I'm not assuming that everyone who's listening to this podcast is white, so I'm talking to you if you are one of these white people who doesn't really understand and wants to change it, but doesn't know where to start. And if you are a black person, I am so sorry for what's been going on in our country and my role as a white person in not doing enough to change it. I still have hope, but we all have to get involved. And as I mentioned before, white people have to help because if you look in Congress, If you look in the White House, we've had one black president, only one, and we've we have few black people and people of color in Congress. We have a long way to go. We have one black person on the Supreme Court. So some concrete things we can do. Confront your own internalized racism. This, if you do it properly, is going to bring up overwhelming feelings of shame. Privilege, when you face your privilege, It brings up shame. I'm sorry. That's very painful. Not as painful as being a member of an oppressed group. It's the hard work that we have to do to change things. We can't get swallowed up by shame. If you need to take a break, take a break. Notice that that's a privilege that black people don't get. They can't choose to turn away and just say, "Mm, I'm not going to worry about that today. I'll I'll come back to that tomorrow. But do what you need to do self-care, self-compassion, and then get back to it as soon as possible. Don't ask black people to expend their emotional labor for free to teach you and absolve you of responsibility. Pay black people who are teaching about anti-racism work and learn from them. Listen, don't think you know better. Just listen, be open. If it makes you uncomfortable, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Getting out of your comfort zone is what we need. We have all been complacent for too long. So I'm going to give you a bunch of resources and is not by any means an exhaustive list. This is what I was able to compile based on what I already knew and some things that I don't know as much about. I gathered up, um, but some of the resources I'm going to mention have a bunch more resources in them. I hope by using my voice to educate white members of my audience on racism that that will somehow make a difference. 
Showing up for racial justice, which goes by Surge, S-U-R-J, is a group that meets regularly and talks about what to do about racial inequality. You can find Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org or just Google S-U-R-J, all caps, acronym, Showing Up for Racial Justice, Surge. I listed an article that was on On Being a few years ago on their website, um, a black person's experience of being asked by their white friend about white privilege. There was a great op-ed in the LA Times a couple days ago um, written by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The headline says, don't understand the protests. What you're seeing is people pushed to the edge. And I linked to that article. It really explains in a clear way what's going on. You know, when people are like, I don't get it. Why are they looting? You know, okay, I'm not condoning destruction of property or violence of any kind. And when people don't know what else to do to get the attention of the people in power, that's the desperation that shows up in that kind of behavior. And that's what he talks about in the article, much more eloquently and succinctly and knowledgeably than I can. Tamika Mallory is one of the founders of the Women's March, and she um, gave a very powerful speech recently about George Floyd's death. I linked to that. Her organization is called Until Freedom, and their website is www.untilfreedom.com. The definition of institutional racism that I mentioned before um, is linked in the um, in the show notes. There was an op-ed in the Baltimore Sun on racial terrorism equating police killings to lynching, and it gives a persuasive argument for why that's true. I linked that article. Um, I also linked to an article from the Urban Institute called Structural Racism in America that has many, 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 many links in that article that will help you understand if you don't understand structural racism. If you're curious or you don't believe me about the NASW Code of Ethics, I link to that so you can read it for yourself. I link to Christian Cooper's video of his encounter with Amy Cooper in Central Park. It's a link to his Facebook page where he posted that. Um, I'm not posting any videos of black bodies being brutalized because I know that that is extremely re-traumatizing for black people and it's traumatizing for anyone to watch. Um, but this just, he filmed it and he shows how Amy Cooper responded to him asking her to leash the dog. And it's pretty shocking really to see just how she completely escalated the situation. Um, he remained calm and wasn't doing anything wrong and how she threatened him that she was going to call the police and say that he threatened her life, knowing what that means. Then I linked to the article in CNN that I mentioned um, that includes her apology and her um, explanation for her behavior. There's an excellent book if you want to understand racism and white supremacy by Layla Saad. Her book is called Me and White Supremacy, Combat Racism, Change the World, and Become a Good Ancestor. And that book is available at her website, which is com slash me and white supremacy. It's linked here. Um, 
Another teacher who is doing a lot on this is a white professor who mainly speaks to white people about um, anti-racism and how to um, overcome white fragility, which is that concept in which we can't stand thinking about our complicity in racism. And so we just are too, too delicate to handle that. And um, she has a book called White Fragility that goes in depth about that and what you can do. She also has resources on her website, which is robindangelo.com. And you can go to slash resources for her list. Then there's a link to a Google document that is a really extensive list of anti-racism resources. Um, it's I'm not going to read the link. You have to, you can get it from the show notes though. Another person doing really good work in this this arena is Rachel Cargill. And I um, posted a link to her work, Unpacking White Feminism, because I have identified as an intersectional feminist. And I cannot deny that the women's movement, starting with the suffragettes in the early 1900s, excluded black women from their work. And in the 60s, they did not When the, you know, 60s and 70s, when the ERA, the women's liberation movement was really active, when they were the most effective, they did not join with black women who had been doing civil rights work for years. And they weren't really fighting for the rights of black women. They were fighting for the rights of white women. And that's wrong. You know, the intersectionality concept is that all of these types of oppression are related. And when we compartmentalize them, we dilute the power that we could have if we were working collectively and collaboratively. And that's just my little um, interpretation of it. I'm sure that there's much more out there from these experts. Also mentioned Howard Zinn's book, A People's History of the United States, which explains how the history we learned in school is whitewashed, deliberately omitting the experience of indigenous peoples including black people who were brought to this country involuntarily and tortured. And that brings us up to where we are today, as we know. And then the last link is a link to that article that I mentioned that was satirical, how Western media would cover the news if it happened in another country from the Washington Post. So my heart is sick about what's going on. Not the protests. I'm happy. I'm proud of the protesters, but I'm disgusted with the way that the protesters are being mistreated. And I'm absolutely horrified and heartbroken over the continual mistreatment of black people in our country. And I'm, I'm hopeful that this will force change. I'm fearful that it won't. So we have to keep talking about this. We have to keep thinking about this. And we white people have to do something. That's all I have to say for today. Thank you so much for listening to Therapy Chat. Today's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. There are many ways to keep your practice organized, but Therapy Notes is the best. Their easy-to-use, secure platform lets you not only do your billing, scheduling, and progress notes, but also create a client portal to share documents and request signatures. Plus, they offer amazing unlimited phone support, so when you have a question, you can get help fast. To get started with the practice management software trusted by over 60,000 professionals, 
Go to therapynotes.com and start a free trial today. If you enter promo code therapy chat, they will give you two months to try it out for free. Thanks also to DoxyMe for sponsoring this episode. DoxyMe is an easy to use HIPAA compliant telehealth platform that is available in free and paid versions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code therapy chat. A couple weeks ago, my group practice needed to close our office to in-person sessions and make a quick pivot to telehealth due to the coronavirus. I was able to set up free HIPAA-compliant DoxyMe accounts for my staff and interns. This allowed us to quickly and easily transition to telehealth during a stressful situation. I already had my own paid account that I'd been using as needed. DoxyMe has been easy for staff and clients to use so we can focus on the therapy sessions. Get $50 off a paid account by going to doxy.me and putting in the code therapychat. That's D-O-X-Y dot M-E and use the code therapychat for $50 off. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Thank you.